Hello folks, welcome to another episode of the PDXB Podcast, a weekly culture show that keeps a finger on the pulse of all things Portland. I'm your host, Amado Lumba, and in this week's beat, it's all about tech. I recently sat down with my pal and regular contributor to the podcast, Rich Bruckner, from inside-startups.com. We talked about the local tech scene first. Give it a listen. Hey, Rich. Well, how are you doing, Amado? I'm well. How are you? Oh, great, great. You know, I'm really excited about 2015. I think it's going to be a great year. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Well, th- there's a lot going on in Portland in the tech scene. And, uh, you know, a-, a couple things I wanted to point out to that matter. Uh, some of them involve lots of money. So let- let's just talk about those. And-, and this was recent news in December. Uh, a company called Tripwire was acquired. Okay. And, you know, they do... Uh, some interesting things uh, with security, etc. But um, um, the other one is a company that I've actually been to for some meetings is New Relic. They went public. Okay. Very few companies are going public these days. It's not like the remember the big dot com boom when toothpaste.com had an IPO and everybody with a, <laughs> a pulse and they all had you know Ariane chairs and stuff. That has really tapered off. Um, the path now for a startup is more likely to be to get acquired by Microsoft or Google or Amazon or something, right? Or Oracle. Sure. That is the path to Nirvana, not an IPO where Wall Street comes in and gives you lots of uh, you know investment money for stock. So you see this kind of a new relic thing. Um, um, Tripwire went for seven hundred and ten million dollars. That's M with a million with an M. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, the uh, the IPO at its initial offering for New Relic was one point five billion with a B. How is that possible? This is a Portland uh, startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they've been around for a little while, but uh, uh, you know, uh, definitely a tech startup getting the attention of, of Wall Street and the uh, the bankers. What, so very what, exciting. What makes them lucrative? Um, well, I you know I don't know much about their financials because they you know they were basically VC funded up to this point, right? So you go through these cycles, right? You start with your family, then you go to angels, then you go to VCs. Once you're already making money, then you either get acquired or do an IPO to go global. Right? Okay, all right. So so that's that's the path. And VCs for those uh, uh, unfamiliar venture capitalists, are venture right? Capitalists. So basically, that's like getting in bed with your banker, and he's gonna check what you have for breakfast every morning, and <laughs> burp you, and you know he's gonna check your background of your new girlfriend and all that. They're they're very closely. You're tied at the hip. Sure. With, once you accept their money, they put people on your board to make sure you, they've got their hooks in you and such. So anyway, this is this is a good sign. But there's other things going on as well with more familiar household names. Um, you know, eBay has a, a lab here that is uh, expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing R and D here in, in Portland, mm. in, in in downtown. And you know, eBay is a very large company. In case yep. you didn't know, yep. Uh, but what they like about Portland is uh, real estate is cheap compared to the uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, they can pay people less money <laughs> than it takes to live in the San Francisco area, of sure. course. And. Uh, um, and other startups that you might have heard of, like Airbnb, yeah, has an office here in Portland yeah. for similar reasons, right? Um, and some friends of mine over at there's a company called Puppet Labs, which is expanding like crazy. They're based on open source, but basically, they have software that lets you orchestrate hundreds or thousands of servers and automate so like a single system administrator can be Superman 
and administer a giant data center with Puppet Lab stuff. They're growing by gangbusters. They've moved three or four times, I think, to bigger spaces in downtown. We're talking three, four hundred people. They've gotten uh, infusions of, uh, I think the last one was 50 or 70 million dollars. So um, this is all going on. This means lots of jobs, good paying tech jobs, moving into the core of Portland, the Pearl, downtown. Uh, not places like Beaverton or Tigard where, you know, Intel might build something. Sure. But right down here, where, you know, and that's hence all these expensive uh, condos they're building here in Northwest that <laughs> and they're know, here, see and the they're cranes, here, right? They're here to stay? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing that's really sparking the future is Google Fiber is coming here. It's okay. a done deal. Uh, they're going to start out, uh, if, in case you don't know, that's 1,000 gigabit uh, connection. So, you know, think of your Comcast times, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 wow. speed. And they're going to come to residential first, for whatever reason. They've done it in other cities, like Kansas City, for example. And when Google Fiber comes, it's like a spark for business. It attract. It's like you know, it's like honey, and the flies come, right? Right. And uh, so this is very exciting. Um, whether or not they come to your neighborhood will be depend on how many people sign up, and it's kind of spendy. It's going to be more than your basic internet. I, I mean, I pay a, a, a ginormous amount of money right now for Xfinity. Um, Cable, and I can only imagine how much this would cost. Um, well, it'd probably be comparable, but it'll be you know incredibly fast, right? So you know, think of downloading a, a gigabyte file in a couple of seconds, okay, versus an hour on my current connection, okay. Are there yes. any other uh, competitors for Google Fiber on, uh, well, on just the internet? Absolutely, uh, CenturyTel, which is the old DSL the phone company, is stepping up with uh, uh, a faster connection as well. Okay. Uh, they don't want Google to eat up their, their bread and butter. Sure. Oh, well. Competition is good. Competition is good for pricing and for service levels. And um, and eventually, they, Google Fiber will be available for businesses like startups like, you know, you know any of these companies, right? Because they can, they can innovate based on that. Um, you can run services, you know, and do things, uh, connect to the cloud quickly to do all kinds of experiments or even deliver services to customers awesome. using Google Fiber. And so Google Fiber would uh, would bring more jobs? Yeah, well, the <laughs> caveat is my buddy's got it and uh, he's in uh, Utah and uh, he says you got to use Google Fiber's uh, router box for it to work and they don't let you do something called port forwarding. So what that means is I can't get it and supply internet to my whole condo right. association, which I think I can beat it if I <laughs> so choose to. But you heard it he here says first. They make it hard. Yeah, they're going to make it hard for you. Sure. And because uh, you got to use their their device, you know, and it's a white box sealed thing. There's no you can't you can't Google how to hack into it, right? It's, I get that. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's yeah, smart of them. So, but oh, no, very exciting tech scene stuff happening with with Google Fiber coming. I think later this year. And, uh, you know, you might be able to order it very soon. I'm going to order it just because I want it to come to the neighborhood. I, mean, I can always cancel. <laughs> but, uh, so a free trial. <laughs> I'm using something called Clear Wireless now, which is WiMAX technology. Yeah. It's getting phased out. It got bought by Verizon. And, of course, Verizon is getting rid of it because it was too good, right? So um, can we talk about that real quick? Because yeah. I remember when... The WiMAX thing uh, was brought here. Yeah, I'd say maybe about seven, six, seven years ago. Right, uh, and it was supposed to basically make the city connected. Right, right. 
Right, and it it, it you know it, it covers a good portion of Portland uh, Metro. I mean, it's got antennas on top of Montgomery Park next to where I live, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it never got the full coverage. Okay. The technology now is kind of dated. It doesn't have any headroom for uh, higher bandwidth. I see. Without total replacement, and the VC money ran out. Sure. So Verizon bought what was left to try to pick up the customers and try to push them onto 4G at three times the price. So I got a big finger for Verizon on whether or not I'm going to do that. So around December, they're going to cut me off, and I'm going to have to go do something else. And this is a well-timed then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, So I'm excited. Uh, you know, all these jobs, for me as a tech journalist who has a hobby of writing about startups, this is just prime time. Uh, here in Portland, and because uh, it's hot and up and coming, it's not uh, bloated with money like like the Bay Area, right? And uh, the people, you know, there's lots of meetups in town. You can, well, you can network like crazy. If you got any aspirations to go do tech, you know, this is your town. And unfortunately, too many people are moving here. From what it, well, this is the number one state in the union where people are moving to, and guess where they're moving to. Oh, they ain't moving to Bend anymore. They're moving here. So I hope they don't wreck it for us with bad traffic and such. In 2010, Rich founded his website called inside-startups.com, which, quote, seeks to inform, enlighten, and inspire with startup stories from around the globe. And since Rich is clearly no stranger to the tech world, I put him on the spot and asked him for a few tech predictions for 2015. I think we'll see Microsoft continue to flounder in the consumer space. Uh, you know, Xbox just had a big outage over Christmas. I heard about that. Five uh, hours or something like that. Or Yeah, and that was a result of what I call script kitty business, which is denial of service attacks, which aren't sophisticated attacks, but uh, effective enough. And the folks behind it we're protesting this, uh, the interview film about North Korea, and yeah, it, or supposedly, but uh, they, these guys are making their tools available to anyone, so, you know, it's going to be widely available for people that want to do mischief of this <laughs> kind to go, you know, you want to shut down Sony, you know, this is, or Microsoft, Xbox. Um, yeah, you can go do that, right? And uh, you know, hope the FBI doesn't catch you. So I don't advise it. You know, they will catch these guys. I don't think North Korea did that, by the way. The uh, <laughs> the attack on Sony. It's from what I read, that was done by ex Sony employees. And believe me, you know, Obama was on TV saying we will we will bring these people to justice. Sure, sure. He was talking about North Korea at the time, but I think they know that it's uh, right. It's it's it's, uh, it's Americans who thought they were very clever and. They're in trouble because wow, they thought they'd point, they'd point sure. at North Korea, right? And then, and then, then yeah, mm, not so much. All the stuff that happened behind the scenes. Uh, right? They will be caught. Yeah. So you're saying Microsoft will flounder? Does that mean uh, that a lot of ex-Microsoft folks will come to Portland? Well, here's the problem: Microsoft makes a lot off the enterprise space and their cloud, uh, Azure. So, bottom line is the stuff we see on the TV that they keep pushing on us, these stupid Surface devices, yeah. which, by the way, re- never buy one of those. <laughs> uh, they're junk. Anyway, as recommended kind of by the PDXB. <laughs> well, you know, they're going to throw billions at it and make a couple hundred million back from sales, and that's been their MO. And Windows Phone is cer- certainly a nice enough phone, sure. but 
it's a distant third to Android and, and iPhone, and that will continue to be the case. So, uh, I, I would, you know, that's not even a great prediction, but uh, they're, they're, it won't be an earth-shattering year for tech. Uh, to me, the exciting thing is I'm getting an electric car, right? Cool. I've always wanted one. I'm sure. getting a Fiat 500e as a lease deal. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it runs off 110 volt and it goes 80 miles on a charge, which I drive around the city anyway. Sure. So, um, you know, not this year, but 2017, Tesla is working on a new $30,000 version of what they make, their 100K. Anyway, that, I think Detroit's scared because uh, um, these, these vehicles, when they get down in that price range, they're just like any other, you know, Ford or Audi you'd buy. Um, no one's going to want the gas cars anymore. And we're already seeing gas prices plunge because of overproduction. Right. And, uh, you know, the uh, the Saudis and everything are not cutting production. So, you know, uh, they need the money, by the way. this I thought this was interesting. Uh, I heard a special about Saudi Arabia. And uh, they're consuming, as a country, almost as much oil as they produce right now. Hmm. Because of... Uh, well, but basically, they all own as many gas-burning devices as possible. Sure. They have every electronic device because they have wealth. But they run their desalinization plants. All their water comes from the ocean off of oil. Hmm. All their power and air conditioning comes from burning oil. Uh, so think about water for 30 million people, how many gallons that is. Right. All has to come from oil energy. That's crazy. Yeah. So they're yeah they're still exporting oil, but they're consuming oil like no tomorrow. Right. No other nation would be able to do it because sure. they'd have to buy it from somewhere. Sure. Yeah. So you know I think you know these kind of trends are uh, really interesting to watch. Um, you know an electrical car, basically if you do the the cost per watt or whatever or, uh, to charge it, you're getting something like 135 miles per gallon depending on the price of gasoline. So, sure. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, congrats just, on that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now there's a lot of limitations with them, unless you buy the hundred and twenty thousand dollar Tesla. Tesla, yeah. But uh, there are people that do that, and there's a lot of government incentives. And uh, so I, I test rode one of those, by the way. It's a rocket sled, fast. And, uh, the center of gravity is so low that they couldn't even flip the car over in the uh, flip tests. Right? It would just not flip. They had to change the test because the batteries are underneath the car. Yeah. So the center of gravity of a car is like eight centimeters off the ground. It's like it's just hugging, so you can't flip it. Right? right. You just change change your vector and turn the thing, and you can't flip the car. So it's it's an amazing vehicle, and uh, I think that's the way it's going. So, uh, And driverless cars. Um, I can't wait for that, actually. Yeah, it, that needs to happen. Well, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the technology it works, right? They've got them. Uh, they drive around the Bay Area. They've got, you know, there's... You know, the statutory, uh, you know, laws are the biggest obstacle now, but it will change how we look at vehicles. And I saw a talk by this guy who's kind of the, the Richard Stallman of electric cars. Stallman is the, uh, he's the open source guy. You know, like, proprietary software is evil. Well, this guy was saying, um, think about how we purchase a vehicle. You buy uh, your SUV because you want need it for that maximum mission. The one weekend out of the month where you got the four kids, the surfboard, the dog, and you go out to the coast. Right. Uh, you buy it for that. 
99% of your driving is you sitting in that thing, driving out to Beaverton to your job. Right. And maybe to go get a sandwich or something. Right. So what if you had uh, vehicles on demand that came to you like, we're sitting here at Moo Moo's, and I say, I need a car to take me from here to Southeast to go get some Bollywood theater food. Okay. Right? And it shows up in maybe this little torpedo tube thing that's a single vehicle. I hop in that. I don't care what the range of that car is. Right. I only want it to get me to Bollywood. It's only, yeah, it's only five miles or whatever. Right. So yeah. that's they send me the minimum mission profile vehicle for that. If I have a, a, you know, if I got the four kids and the dog and the surfboard, they send that vehicle. And then when no one's using it, it goes and hides in some little cubby hole, you know, multi-level garage thing. Charging. So that, then you think about electric cars like, you don't care if it goes 200 miles or 20. Right. As long as it serves your mission. Right. You don't care. Right. So there's different, and suddenly car ownership will become kind of what for, right? I'm because, liking. I'm uh, liking that. On on paper, you'll be it'll be easy to do the math because cars depreciate like crazy. I mean, in 2000, I bought a Volkswagen Bug Beetle, right? And uh, big mistake, but anyway, it was a, it was a fun little car. But yeah, it was a fad. I, I did the math. That car depreciated twenty three hundred dollars per year, <laughs> every year. That's wow. what it cost. Sure. So buying it new, it just just if I parked it and didn't do anything with it, it just you're losing that money. Yeah. Right. Well. Why lose all that money? Why? That's like you might as well set your money on fire. Right. Right. And I only put forty thousand on it in ten years, so I was a minimal driver. Sure. This kind of thing I'm talking about with the driverless cars makes a lot more sense, where it becomes centralized. And think about the parking, even. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Who cares about parking? Yeah. The car goes and hides in some cubby hole. You don't care. It goes underground and lives in a you know a big sewer cavern. Who cares? That right? sounds very utopianish. I think I think you know as 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 we move on as a society with these kind of technology will enable yeah. that kind of utopian thing and you know when you think about how China uh, how many people are there it's well over a billion right uh, if they all had SUVs in their driveway right. just the pollution and right. the energy drain on the world it isn't sustainable right? right this is the only model that would make any sense right or think about think about like states like Hawaii or yeah. commonwealths like Puerto Rico, those are very small places. Yeah. Something like this would definitely yeah. work yeah. there. But they're still physically distributed in such a way, you got to have a car. Right. What do you do in Maui without a car? I have right. no idea. You're screwed. <laughs> right. You, you, know, you, can, you can't bicycle across that freaking mountain, right? I mean, not anytime quick. So there are places, like the U.S. is, you know, we have mostly pockets of uh, population. Right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is empty. Um, yeah, wide open spaces. Farmland, nothingness. You can tell when you fly over, right? Right. Uh, it doesn't make, you know, this kind of model doesn't make sense if you live in Wyoming. Right. But uh, most people don't. Most people live in a metro. Right. Or a suburb. And I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, frankly, that's money you could be spending on something else. Well, I, I mean, I definitely uh, agree with that notion. And I think the concept of Internet of Things or Internet yeah, yeah. of Everything, how it, whatever you call it, yeah, uh, will ma- will only make it possible. Sure, sure. Sometime and very soon. So yeah, yeah. and we're, we're all connected, and uh, you know, it, it, it isn't going to be hard. And you know, these cars, you think, well, driverless car is not safe. Wait a minute, that car even at night sees 360 degrees right around something you can't do even right. in broad daylight. Right, right. Um, it you know it can sense things with radar that you couldn't see in front of you. Right. Even 
you know, uh, so it, it can know traffic. The other thing that's I thought was fascinating about these cars is that they can turn into sensors for the global the grid, right? So, just think if you had ten thousand of these cars in the Bay Area driving around, they are watching 360 around. They know where the potholes are have just appeared. They know where the traffic is. They know they'll know everything about the current state of things, and you can avoid traffic jams. Yeah, because you've got ten thousand sets of eyes being fed into a central intelligence and not to mention um, not to mention you know it'll probably prevent a lot of drunk driving oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah uh, unless you know unless somebody's hacked into the to, into the grid that controls these cars it'll probably prevent a lot of collisions yeah um, save lives save lives I mean I, I think it's a and I did read about the Google car or something like that they were yeah, yeah, yeah. in California I think that's what you were you know, the, earlier the, this is real this isn't yeah, science fiction they're doing it's this here. The, uh, it's the technology is here so yeah. Uh, yeah I can't wait for that to happen yeah like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash the PDX beat Find us on Twitter as at the PDX Beat. Email us at thepdxbeat at gmail.com and check out our website at www.thepdxbeat.com. If you're a regular Portlander like me, you probably first heard about Uber just last year. Even though the company itself has been around since 2009, Uber came into popular mention primarily because of the much-reported cases of sexual assault, like the ones that happened in Chicago, Boston, and L.A. last year. And now, come to find out, Uber actually wormed its way into Portland last October. And since it's a tech-related company because of the app, I asked Rich for his insights. Portland's kind of a monopoly that we've given to these taxi drivers, right? Um, there's only so many cars allowed. That's why it costs $40 to go from Moomoo's to the airport, right? Because they can set the prices. Yeah, yeah. Uber came in and started operating here without city permission, basically. Okay. And it's basically, it's an app on your phone that you can see the nearest car, book it, pay. you pay with your phone out of your account. You don't hand this private driver any money. Right. Uh, my friend uh, JJ got a ride across from east side to west side it cost them five dollars that's at least a 15 dollar cab fare right so why would you drive if you were going out to the bars if it was that cheap right okay but you're saying convenient but you're saying this is not sanctioned by this i mean this is not approved uh they have suspended operations uh while they negotiate with the city because they've just gotten a bunch of vc money they probably got you know they got more lawyers than portland has politicians Sure, sure so they'll they will win in the end uh, and Uber will be here. I mark my words. I have been hearing a lot of uh, a lot about it uh, over the last in the last quarter of last year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, especially since you know taxi drivers. I'm sorry, taxi availability at the airport, for instance, at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning is very sparse at times. Yep, yep. yep. Um, and, but and there's plenty of people that will want to do business with you that you'll be able to summon up. Yeah. And, uh, but what about the controversy that surrounds it? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Their valuation this year is looking like twenty billion with a. Dollars. That's based on operations, and I think they got some douchebags running the company, from what I can tell. <laughs> you know, um, if they go public, that will all get washed out because public companies have to be, you know, nose clean. So um, that's the route they're headed. 
But explain real, real quick. So Uber yeah. is, are like uh, are privately owned vehicles. Yeah, it's a Correct. network. It's of, a network of, of private drivers. Um, and I, I'm trying to figure. I think there was something very similar to this that operated, or maybe still operates in Portland, where you can actually call call this number and oh, they can drive th- there, you. There's a number of, yeah. of things, but uh, uh, you know, it's so regulated, especially downtown. If you're at a hotel, you have basically option for a taxi or a limo service. Right. That's it. Or you get on the max and right, right. Cross your fingers. No, I mean it's it's a. I mean with everything that that Portland's got going for it so far, and, and it's and it's culture. Yep. I, I can only see Uber definitely expanding here. Yeah, yeah, it, it's coming, and Portland is progressive. And you know, if uh, if the current administration doesn't like it, Charlie Hale or whatever, the next one is, will. <laughs> you know, they'll take their money and take their. You know, they'll. Yeah. So it's they're just suspended at this point. There, there's no. They're suspended while negotiations happen uh, behind closed doors. Got it. So there's no prognostication in terms of. Well, I think when. they've got. You think what does the taxi lobby have here in terms of money to lobby with? Yeah, I'm sure they're making okay, but compared to Uber, is the size of a you know gargantuan compared to this tiny little taxi lobby in Portland will get squashed like a bug. Right. And there's probably not going to be. It's not as simple as the taxi drivers just. Um, you know, like jumping a ship well, and just no. making well, they're, they're yeah. So their their complaint is that the drivers for Uber are the washouts that couldn't make it as uh. taxi drivers. <laughs> but listen, there's bad eggs in every business. There are bad uh, taxi drivers in this town. Uh, oh, I know there are. There are great guys as well. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, their companies are trying to protect their turf. I would do the sure. same thing. Understood. But. Uh, they need to change. They could do this model themselves. It would just take investment. You know, you got to make an app and everything else. Mm-hmm. But they want to just—they want to keep doing things the old way, and that is what happened to the dinosaurs. And you see many of them around here. So, <laughs> yeah, a few in Gresham, but we yeah. won't talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, lots going on in Portland. Great. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Thanks for speaking with me. You bet. You will find more about Rich and his writings at www.inside-startups.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter for up-to-date tech news at Inside Big Data. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show this week. Our theme music is called Cataracts from local musician Sweet Nothing. Catch up on previous episodes on our website, and there's information there on how to drop me a line if you have ideas for the show or if you just want to say hi. Love to hear from you. I'm going to send you off this week with a song from a Portland-based band called Gay Ghost. You heard me. I found out about their music via a CD taped inside the pizza box from Lonesome's Pizza, and I really dig their sound. Here's their tune entitled Ghost Ship. Hope you like it. I'm Amado Lumba. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.